um, anyways, that's one thing. And the second thing is, right now, we are in the middle of our Pass It On initiative as a church. Some of you have heard this. You've been around Wildwood the last few weeks. You know that we're talking about kind of the next strategic step for Wildwood as a church, and we believe that's to improve our investment in our children's ministry, including uh, the construction of a new children's ministry building. And so we have been talking about that over the last several weeks. Maybe you've been to a home meeting or you've heard something about it in uh, one of our services. But uh, one of the things that we wanted to do was just highlight some of how God is using the ministries at Wildwood to children and how they've used, been used by him in the past. And so last week we heard a little bit about our special needs ministry, and this week we wanted you to hear a little bit about how God has been at work through our Awana ministry. And so we've invited Matt Russell to come. So Matt, come on up. Matt, uh, you may know Matt as a junior at the University of Oklahoma. You may know Matt as the son of Wayne and Edie Russell, a longtime Wildwood guy. He grew up here. Or you may know him as an Awana leader right now in the Sparks group on Wednesday nights. But however you know him, here's Matt Russell. He's going to tell you a little bit about how God has worked in his life. Hi. Well, as you said, my name is Matt Russell, and uh, I've been coming to Wildwood uh, basically my entire life. Uh, I went to Sunday school here, and I grew up in the Awana program here. And both of those ministries have just had a real... Uh, just a real impact in my life. I, uh, not only did they help me to, not only did they lead me into a relationship with God, but they also helped me to grow and develop that relationship with God. Um, I still remember my Sunday school teachers and my uh, Awana leaders, the ones I said my verses to here on Wednesday night. And uh, what I really remember about them is the fact that they were genuinely interested in me. Not only were they uh, not only were they giving up their time to invest it in me, but they were also teaching me God's truth. And I might not have fully appreciated that then, but uh, it certainly had a positive influence in my life. And uh, just the fact that they were there working with me and the fact that I knew that they cared so much about me, was just that was just an awesome feeling for me. And it's because of that that I... Uh, that I wanted to work with children, and uh, it's been my privilege for the last four years to work in the Awana program, and uh, it's just been a blessing for me. Uh, I feel like I get to give back to the kids and input into their life what someone took the time out to do and input into my life uh, years ago, and it's just been, it's just been awesome. And uh, I think the fact that Wildwood has an opportunity to grow in this area is just awesome because it means uh, that we can reach out to more kids and have an impact in their life and have, be that positive influence uh, that, in the same way that people impacted my life. And uh, I think that's just truly a, a blessing from God. Great. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate you sharing. It's exciting to see how God has been at work around us and and uh, as you have heard shared, you know, last week with the special needs and, and this week with Awana, which is our Wednesday night kids club, uh, if God is working in your heart and you would like to get involved in serving in some way in one of these ministries, inside your bulletin was this green piece of paper today, and you can take that and, and fill that out uh, and uh, take it to the Welcome Center after the service, and uh, one of us will get back to you as far as serving in that ministry, but it is just such a great opportunity to build into the lives of others and to pass on God's truth that we have received. Um, well, it's good to be here today. Our uh, senior pastor, Bruce Hess, and his wife, Janet, are away. They are in Ontario, California. 
um, speaking with Family Life Marriage Conferences. And so while they're away, we are here, and we're going to continue our Pass It On series, and uh, we will do that in just a moment. But before we get there, uh, I wanted us to pray together. Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you. We thank you for the time that you have set aside out of all eternity, this moment for us to be together. And Father, I pray that you would guide our time. I pray that we would not just, uh, it would not just be me talking and, and some listening, but Father, that it would be all of us with open ears and hearts uh, to see and to understand your truth for us today. Father, I pray that your spirit would be all of our teachers. And Father, I pray that you would protect me from saying anything that you wouldn't want said. But if I do say something that you wouldn't want said, I pray that it would quickly be forgotten. But Father, the words that I share today that are your words and your truth, I pray that we would remember them, that we would believe them, and that we would apply them in our lives, that we might be shaped more into the image of your Son. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when we talk about the Pass It On initiative, and we talk about an, an emphasis in children's ministry, uh, one of the things that happens with that is you remember that possibly you, like me, were involved in a children's ministry ourselves one day as a child. And I grew up at East Cross United Methodist Church in Bartlesville, Oklahoma. And best I can figure, I had a good eight-year run in the children's ministry there. Uh, from the time I was a preschooler until the end of sixth grade. Uh, and, and our family was, were very regular church attenders. So we would be there maybe 50 Sundays a year. So 50 Sundays a year times eight years, that's 400 possibilities for lessons. And then you, you factor in also some vacation Bible schools and some special events. I'm guessing we'll round it off to a cool 500 lessons that I participated in as, as, a, as a member of the children's ministry at East Cross United Methodist in Bartlesville. Now, 500 is a big number, and it's, it's helpful to get a little bit of perspective. So let me break it down for you a little bit. Uh, one way we could break it down is to say this. Uh, maybe 350 stories came alive to me on the flannel graph board. Uh, you know, 2D is no problem for me. They, they went up, and it was beautiful. Uh, maybe 350 stories via flannel graph. Uh, how, how about this? Break it down a little, little further. Uh, about 400 crafts did I create in the children's ministry at East Cross. I'm, I'm certain that none of those are still in existence anywhere. They're, they're part of a landfill someplace. But at least 400 mediocre crafts did I create um, as a part of the children's ministry there. Uh, how about breaking it down a little further? How about 40, at least 40 different praise songs? that I learned and I sang. And you know, singing praise songs in children's ministry is great. It's the kind of thing that causes you to anticipate when you first read Genesis 6 that God said to Noah, you're going to build an arky, arky. You begin to get kind of a, a, uh, uh, an idea about God's truth from those things. And, and so when you, when you look at this experience of 500 different lessons in children's ministry at East Cross and all the flannel graphs and all the songs and all the crafts, but to break it down just one step further, I need to say this. Of those 500 lessons, for zero of those lessons was I saved. For zero of those lessons did I understand the life, death, and resurrection of Christ and place my faith in it. For zero of those lessons was I a redeemed person. 
And you know, as we have been thinking about this Pass It On initiative, and as, as we have been talking about children's ministry, I've just been a little reflective on my own experience. And as I think about my own experience as a participant in a children's ministry, 500 Sundays involved in lessons, when I think about that experience, I have to come to the conclusion that says this, Sunday school didn't save me. Sunday school didn't save me. That's kind of a sobering realization, especially when we're talking about a children's building that's going to house a lot of rooms that will be used for Sunday school or used for children's programs on Wednesday night. But the reality is, if I want to be honest with my experience and what God has shown me through that as I've reflected on it, is that Sunday school didn't save me. And so we might wonder, well, what are we doing then? And as I've thought further about that topic, I actually uh, God brought to mind a passage of Scripture in Romans chapter 2, verse 17, through chapter 3, verse 2. And in those verses, I think that God gives all of us a perspective that helps us to further understand that truth that Sunday school didn't save me. And if you were like me and you grew up in the church and you attended 500 lessons and you did flannel graphs and you sang songs and all that stuff, then I think that God has a message uh, for you and for me today from Romans chapter 2. And that is the fact that Sunday school didn't save me. Now, if if, if we're going to think of Sunday school didn't save me, the question is, why not? Why did Sunday school not save me? And when Paul writes the letter to the people in Rome, in in the book of Romans, starting in chapter 2, Paul sets out to answer that question. And so let's, let's look there. And, and as we look at Romans chapter 2, the first thing that we're going to see is this. Our salvation is not about what you know. Our salvation is not about what you know. Why can Sunday school not save us? Because salvation is not about what you know. Uh, Paul writes to the Romans in chapter 2, beginning in verse 17, and this is what he says. He says, Now you, if you call yourself a Jew... If you rely on the law and you brag about your relationship to God, if you know his will and you approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of infants, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and the truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who brag about the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. And when Paul writes this letter to the Christians in Rome, he he, he takes issue in chapter 2, beginning in verse 17, with the religious people of his day. He takes issue with the Jewish people. Now remember, Christianity was birthed out of the cradle of, of, of the Jewish faith. The Jews were God's chosen people. Jesus was a Jew. And so when, when the Christian message blooms in the New Testament, some of the earliest followers were Jewish people. And Paul writes in his letter, in in chapter 2, starting in verse 17 of Romans, he wants to remind those people who had grown up in the Jewish faith that their Sunday school didn't save them, that it didn't save them because it's not about what they knew. 
Now, he does that in several ways. He, he acknowledges that the Jewish people, because of their place as God's covenant people, because of their, 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 the fact that they had received the word of God, they were looking at the right book, because of all of those things, they understood a lot of, of, of God principles about God. You know, he says that, that they, they had the law, that they bragged about how they had the law. Uh, he says that they even were teachers of others because they were able to approve what is superior because they were enlightened by the law of God. You see, the Jewish people in that day had become recipients of all of this truth. They knew very many things about God. But Paul wanted to remind them and tell them that just because they knew lots of stuff about God, that that didn't save them because salvation is not about what they know. And you know, when you think about that for our current setting, uh, the religious people of our day in our context right here in Norman, those who have been recipients of God's word and have grown up around it, aren't necessarily the Jewish people. But in our context, they're those who grew up in a Christian home. There are those of us who grew up with parents that took us to church. There are those of us who grew up experiencing 500 lessons at least of children's ministry all the time. Because of that background, because we grew up in the church, we know a lot of stuff. Don't we? Think about all the things that you know because you grew up in a Christian context, if that describes your life. You know the, the order of the books in the, New Test, or the, or the Old Testament. They go Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, then Numbers. You know that there is a first and a second Samuel, but there's not a first and a second Hezekiah. You know that the book of Isaiah is in the first half of the Bible, not in the second half. Uh, we know a lot of that stuff. You grew up around the church. Maybe you've read through a one-year Bible. Maybe you've gotten ambitious and you've gone beyond the one-year Bible to the Bible in 90 days. At this pace, if we keep it up, there'll be a 30-day Bible at some point, right? But, but the Bible in one year, the Bible in 90 days. You may have on your shelf both the Ryrie and the Schofield study Bibles. You might have software on your computer that can take you to any verse at the drop of a hat. We know a lot of stuff. If we have grown up around the church, we know a lot of things about God. But the problem for the Jewish people in that day that Paul points out is the same problem that it is for us. It's not about what we know because we can't do everything that we know. The problem was not that the Jewish people didn't know right from wrong. The problem was they were unable to do it. Look at what Paul says in the second half of that section. He says, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You say that people shouldn't commit adultery. Do you commit adultery? What he's saying is, you may know right from wrong, but you're not able to live it out. You're not able to live it out consistently. There's an inconsistency in your life. You know what? The reason why Sunday school can't save me and the reason why it's not about knowledge is because we can't live out everything that we know. Knowledge may be helpful at some level, but it doesn't empower us to do the things that God calls us to do. It's not about what we know. You know, I mentioned that I grew up in the church, 500 lessons. You know, I grew up around the Word of God. I grew up in a, in a church that we didn't have a program like Awana, but, but we did have incentives to learning God's Word, right? And uh, I, I grew up in Sunday school classes and in vacation Bible schools where if you memorized verses, you got coupons for ice cream. And that was huge. 
I love that. And so I, I memorized a lot of verses. And if you asked me on cue, I could recite to you John 3.16. But even though I could recite John 3.16, I had no idea what it was really talking about. Even though I could recite it, I never received the message of salvation that God had for me and for all of us in it. Uh, even though I knew the Ten Commandments, I could tell you what the Ten Commandments were. I broke every one of them according to the standard of Matthew uh, chapter 5 to 7 in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, see, my, my problem is the same as your problem. We can know a lot of things, but just knowing something is not enough to save us because we can't do the things that we know. Even if our knowledge is limited, we're unable to live out all the truth that we see. Knowledge is unable to erase a past transgression. And so Sunday school didn't save me because knowing, it's not about knowing. The second thing I think Paul wants them to see, though, is that it's not about what you show. If it's not about what you know, it's also not about what you show. And, and the, the fact of the matter is that the Jewish people at this time were showing a very important thing to them. They had participated in a very important ritual, a very important ceremony, a very important visual reminder. They were showing something about their devotion to God. And that something that they were showing was the fact that they had been circumcised. Look at what it says beginning in verse 25. It says, Circumcision has value if you observe the law, but if you break the law, you have become as though you had not been circumcised. If those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you, who, even though you have the written code and circumcision, are a lawbreaker. A man is not a Jew if he is only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not by the written code. Such a man's praise is not from men, but from God. And, and what Paul, I believe, was saying to the Roman Jewish population was he was reminding them that their Sunday school can't save them because it's not just about what they show. They might say, well, I can show you that I've been circumcised. And circumcision was really a freaky thing for Jewish people at that time. They, they become so centered on that outward symbol that they were placing all of their confidence in it. If someone had been circumcised, then they were on the in crowd. If someone had not been circumcised, then they were on the outs with God. It had become such an important thing. They become centered on something that they could show. And so Paul writes to them and he says, it's not about what you show. It's not about circumcision. And again, our issue today is not circumcision. The issue for us as those who grew up in Christian homes... Uh, many of us did. The issue is not circumcision. But there are a number of things that we show that we might want to place our confidence in. Something like baptism. I know that I'm saved because I was baptized as an infant, as a child, as a whatever. That, that, that there was, might try to place some confidence in that. We might say, I know that I've been saved because I take communion on a regular basis, weekly, monthly, quarterly, whatever it is. I can show you my salvation because I'm experiencing 
participation in communion. Uh, some people might want to cling to the, the fact that they've been confirmed into the, the life of a church. Uh, if, if you're like me, if you grew up in a church that had a background that included confirmation, when I was in the sixth grade, you know, like all the other sixth graders, I joined the confirmation class and I became a member of our church. And, and we might want to cling to that and say, I know that I'm experiencing salvation because I'm confirmed into the church. We might want to say not, not about confirmation or baptism or communion, but maybe it's attendance. I know that, that I'm experiencing salvation because I attend the right church and I attend it regularly or I'm a member there. See, there are several things that we might want to cling to and say our confidence is in what we can show. For the Jewish Romans, it was about circumcision. For us, it might be something else. But to all of us, Paul wants to say it's not about what you show. It's not about what you show. And the reason why it's not about what you show is because we can all show things that are just external, that have no reality on the inside of our lives. Look at what Paul says in, in verse 28. He says, A man is not a Jew if he is only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. It's not about what you show. He says, No, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not by the written code. Such a man's praise is not from men, but from God. He's saying it may be possible if you participate, if you show the right things, you've done the right ceremonies, you do all those things, for, for other people, for men and women to look at you and go, oh, that's great, you are really spiritual. But he says that God looks past those things. He looks past the externals because God is concerned about what is happening on the inside of our lives. He's saying that our salvation is not about what we show. It's not about what we show. Because we can have this dissonance between what we participate in and what we're believing in, what's happening on the inside. Well, if salvation is not about what you know, and if salvation is not about what you show, and if that's the reasons why Sunday school can't save us, then, then does Paul ever answer the question, then what does bring salvation? And Paul certainly does that. And Paul would say that our salvation is found in a person, not a program. Our salvation is found in a person and not a program. You know, over in chapter 3 of Romans, Paul continues at, at the tail end of that section when he's just said, it's not about what you know, it's not about what you show. He tells us what it's about. It's about the person of Christ and his work on our behalf. Beginning in verse 21 of chapter 3. And he says this, he says, But now our righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified freely by His grace, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood. He did this to demonstrate His justice, because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time, so as to be just in the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. See, what Paul was reminding the Romans, and what I think God wants to remind us, is though salvation is not about what we know or what we show, the salvation is about the person of Christ, his work on our behalf. It says that, that, that God placed Christ on the cross and then dumped all of his wrath 
for your sins and mine, all of God's anger that is produced because of the sin of you and of me, all of that anger and all of that wrath was poured out upon Christ on the cross. Because we can't do everything we know. And because we have inconsistencies with what we show and what's happening on the inside of our life, salvation couldn't be about those things. And so the God who loves us found a way for us to be reconciled to Him. And that way for us to be reconciled to Him was not through a program, but it was through a person and through having Christ die on the cross in our place. And if we place our faith in Him and believe that His death was sufficient payment for our sins, then we are forgiven and we have a relationship with God. Our salvation is based in a person and not a program. And, and if, if, if you are here today and you have been trusting in what you know or you've been trusting in what you show, then I just want to challenge you with what Paul would challenge the Romans with. That our salvation is not about those things. Our salvation is about faith in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Not about what we can do, but because of what he did. And that was something that came clear to me in 1990, on Easter Sunday, uh, when, though I had 500 lessons in Sunday school, I had not ever come to grips with a knowledge and a faith in who Christ was. And it was on Easter Sunday in 1990 that I placed my faith in Christ and came to realize that His death was sufficient to pay the price for all of my sins. And I entered into a relationship with Christ. And that's the same decision that, that many of you have made and the same step of faith that many of you have made. And that is what salvation is about. But, but, the, but the question is, um, what's the value in all that stuff then? Uh, would Paul say that if, if, there is, it's if salvation is not about what you know and it's not about what you show, then is there any value in knowing or showing? Is there any value in Sunday school? If Sunday school can't save us, is there any purpose in it? Paul answers that question emphatically in Romans chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. He says, absolutely. What Paul says in Romans chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, is he says that there is great blessing in knowing and showing. Look at what he says. Paul says, what advantage then is there in being a Jew? Or what value is there in circumcision? In other words, if it doesn't save us, then is it valuable? And this is how he answers it in verse 2. He says, much in every way, of first most importance, they have been entrusted with the very words of God. In other words, being a Jew, being circumcised, wasn't something that saved them. But it did place them in a community. It did place them in a location where they had tremendous blessing poured out on them because they were able to receive the very words of God. They were given the right book. They had their minds shaped around the right truths. Though it wasn't enough to save them, it was an incredible blessing that was poured out to the Jewish people. And you know, when we think about our position, if you grew up in the church... If you grew up in a family that was a Christian family, though that is not enough to save you, it has placed you in a position of tremendous blessing, much in every way. 
Because it placed you in a spot where you became a repository of the Word of God handed down to you from Sunday school teachers, from pastors, from mom, from dad, from brother or sister, from friends. It placed you in a spot to receive the blessing of God. It's not valuable enough to save us, but is it valuable? Absolutely, much in every way. You know, I said earlier, I spent 500 lessons in the children's ministry at East Cross United Methodist Church. I saw 350 flannel graph stories. I sang 40 different songs. I made 400 different crafts. And even though for every single one of those lessons, I didn't understand what Christ had done for me, I was in a position where God was blessing me much in every way. You ever thought about your past in that way? You ever thought about your experience growing up in the church as an experience of blessing? Or have you been a critic of your past? Well, you know, they, they didn't understand everything and I didn't quite get it right and they screwed it up and da 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 da. You know, we get, we get that way as we get older, right? Have you ever stopped to think that on the other side of that table in that Sunday school classroom was a person just like you and me who wanted to tell you about Christ? You ever stop to think that the person who you were reciting your verses to, if you were a part of a program like Awana, was somebody that cared about you and, like Matt said, wanted to invest in your life in, in a spiritual way? You ever stop to, to thank God for the incredible blessing that has come to our lives if we grew up in that kind of environment? We need to. We need to stop. We need to slow down. We need to think about the ways that God has blessed us. You know, I think that many times our past, especially our early years and those times in Sunday school and stuff like that, that those are some of the, the greatest blessings that God gives us that we've never thanked Him for. We thank God for all kinds of things, but many times we don't thank Him for those blessings because they're many years ago. We might want to be a critic instead of a, somebody who is thankful, but According to Romans chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, we've been blessed much in every way because of the deposit that was made to us in those settings. You know, I've thought about that a lot in this last week, and I've thought about my own life and my own experience, and I, I've thought about how God has richly blessed my life much in every way because of those, those early days of involvement at East Cross United Methodist Church. And I've just spent some time just thanking God for that investment that people made in my life at that time. Um, but one of the other things that happens is that I, th I think that we need to remember to also thank those that God used in our lives at that time. You know, one of the ways in which we can praise God for that early investment in our lives is to thank those who God used in those early days of our lives to help ground us on spiritual things. But many times we forget to do that or we haven't done that. Um, and so as I've thought about this Sunday and I've thought about this passage of Scripture and, and I've thought about my experience as a participant in Sunday school, God brought to mind a, a, a man. He was actually the senior pastor of East Cross Methodist Church while I was growing up, and his name was Dwight Dara. And Dr. Dara pastored that church for all those years, and I uh, sat in the service and probably squirmed around a lot 
uh, during church at that time. I went through his confirmation class in the sixth grade and, and, and interacted with him and all those things. And remember, all 500 lessons I sat through as a child, I didn't know the Lord. But even in sixth grade, when I didn't know the Lord and I was in his confirmation class, um, there was something that God impressed upon Dr. Dare's heart about me. And he began to pray weekly for me at that time, from the time I was in the sixth grade. He began to pray weekly for me that I would accept the call into full-time vocational ministry. Um, he did that for at least seven years because at my, when I graduated from high school, he shared that with me. I had since come to know the Lord, and it, meant, and it had since felt God's call into ministry. And it was so incredible to think about this man, this dear man that had that had prayed for me faithfully all those years. As I've thought about this passage, and I've thought about how God blesses us, I, I, I sat down and I wrote a letter to Dr. Dara. And uh, I'm, I'm going to mail it to him tomorrow, but I, I wanted to read it to you guys. It says, Dear Dr. Dara, I wanted to write you today to thank you for the way in which God used you in my life. I don't know if you remember me, but my name is Mark Robinson, Dick and Bev's son from East Cross in Bartlesville. And I grew up in your church many years ago. I'm a pastor now at Wildwood Community Church in Norman, Oklahoma. I'm preaching this Sunday on the importance of children's ministry, and as I was preparing for this week's message, I thought of you. Back in 1985, I was in the confirmation class that you taught. At that time, I knew many truths about the faith. Many of them I learned from you, but I did not have any idea what they all meant. Still, somehow, you saw something in me that caused you to take a personal interest in my life. You would later share with me that while I was in that class, you began praying for me that I would go into full-time Christian ministry. It is one thing to pray that prayer for someone one time, but you proceeded to pray that prayer for many years. I distinctly remember when I graduated from high school, you sharing with me that you had been praying for me to go into full-time Christian ministry for, at that time, seven years. You have no idea how much that means to me. And I believe eternity will reveal many blessings to you for your long and faithful service to people like me. God used you to lead East Cross for many years, and I'm eternally grateful. I first heard about Jesus Christ in the Sunday school classrooms of your church. I came to Christ on Easter Sunday, 1990, in the Fellowship Hall. And I first felt God's call into ministry in your youth wave room. As I sit here today in full-time service to our Savior, I simply did not want to be like the nine lepers who went away healed but never returned to give thanks. Thank you for your ministry. You passed on the truth of the gospel to a kid like me, and I wanted you to know that I did not forget. May God bless you in the days ahead. Love, Mark. And I thought about that this week, and I wanted to write him that letter. I, I don't know if he knows me now. He's in a nursing home in Tulsa. He's still married with his wife. They're in the same nursing home. And I don't know what his mental condition is at this point or what his physical condition is totally. Uh, but I wanted to send this to him because I wanted him to know that God had used him in my life. Those of you who serve in children's ministry right now, you might have taught 500 lessons in front of kids that don't know the Lord. And you wonder, is there anything significant about this at all? The answer is much in every way. You know, I want to challenge all of you to do something. In your bulletin today, when you came in and you grabbed, there was a, an envelope that looks like this. And inside that envelope was a blank piece of paper. 
Now, you might have seen that, and you might have thought, oh, I got a mistake, and you might have already thrown it away. If so, I want you to go dig it out of the trash after the service, because what I'd like for everyone to do is I'd like for you to take this piece of paper, and I want you to think about your life. Think about someone who God used in your life at an early age to impart some spiritual truth to you. And I want you to take some time this week, and I want you to write them a letter. Write them a letter and tell them who you are. Tell them how God used you in your life. It might be a pastor. It might be a Sunday school teacher. There are a number of people that I could have written a letter to. But think of someone that God used in your life in a significant way in your early days and write them a letter. And then after you write it, I I want you to do um, two things. One of them I'd like for you to do, if you feel comfortable, is I'd like for you to make a photocopy of that letter. And I want you to come back next Sunday, and we're going to tack them on the wall, the back wall of our gathering hall. Because uh, I think it would be a wonderful reminder to us to be able to go on that wall and to read the living stone testimony of how God has used so many in all of our lives. And it would just be an encouragement to us that someone has passed on God's truth to us, and now we have an opportunity to pass it on to others. But I want you to make a copy and bring it up if you're comfortable with that. The second thing I want you to do is I want you to mail it. I want you to mail it to the person who you write the letter to. Now, for some of you, that person may may no longer be on this planet. But if you can find a connection, a son, a daughter, a a spouse, whoever, to send the letter to on their behalf, or even if you can't find them, just to write it and hang on to it. Just the exercise of thinking through the process of how God has blessed us, much in every way, through the legacy that he's placed us through. Uh, Think about doing that this week. And one last thing that I want to challenge you with, uh, as we we have been walking through over the last several weeks our Pass It On initiative, and we have talked about various messages, one of the the things that uh, uh, we are getting ready for is a Commitment Sunday. That is actually next Sunday, April the 27th. And on Commitment Sunday is the time when we're going to ask all of us to answer the question of what we believe God would have us to financially give in a targeted way towards this um, financial uh, initiative towards the construction of a new children's building. And we have mailed out packets. If you're on our mailing list, you got one of these in the mail that included a brochure and it included a card like this. It's a brown card and on the inside is a commitment card which basically asks what you might be able to give over a three-year period in a targeted way towards this campaign. This is above and beyond our normal giving, but this is given specifically towards the construction of some new children's ministry space. We ask that each of you would prayerfully consider your involvement, fill this out, and bring it back to church with you next Sunday. It'll allow us to get a sense on how God is leading in that process of moving forward with this Passing On initiative in the construction of a new children's building. But, but as you prepare for this, I, I want to challenge you with one other thing. Uh, and, and, and to do that, I'd like for all of the heads of a household to stand. If you're the head of a household, so if you're a, a single person living on your own, if you are a uh, husband, if you are a single mom, if you are the head of your house, as you would define that, I want you to just stand up. Go ahead and stand up right now. If you're the heads of household. And, and, and as you stand, I want to challenge you with something. Um, in, the, uh, in, the, in the prayer guide, which we passed out a few weeks ago, 
um, at the back of that prayer guide is a family conference guide. If you have not gotten a copy of the prayer guide yet, there are prayer guides by both doors. There's commitment cards out at, in, in the gathering hall on the passing on table, but there are prayer guides by both doors. And, and at the back of that prayer guide, um, there's a few pages called a family conference guide. And this family conference guide is a Bible study. It basically is a thing that you can walk through with your family to prayerfully look at this whole idea of what we've been talking about and to consider as a family, I'm talking get your kids involved in this, uh, to, to, to prayerfully consider what your involvement might be in this, in this program, in this initiative. Um, it's just such a great opportunity. Don't make this just a, just a financial deal. This is an opportunity for us to, to grow spiritually as a family as we consider together what God would have us to do. So I just challenge you guys, as heads of houses, to take leadership in your families this week, or in your, if you're a single by yourself, or get together with a couple of friends or whatever, and, and work through this study and consider what God... You've got a whole week, seven days, to find... It'll take you maybe 30 minutes to do what God would have you to do in this program. You, you can be seated. Sunday school didn't save me, but it blessed me much in every way. When we talk about constructing this children's building, um, we don't build it because we think that that building or that program will save anybody. Salvation is found in Christ alone. But we want to build a tool that can be a blessing in the lives of kids. And we ask that you be a part of that. Let me pray for us. Father, we uh, thank you for the time that you've given us today. We thank you for your word and for the depth of it. We thank you for the encouragement that we are given in the pages of Romans chapter 2 and 3 that would encourage us that our salvation is not based on what we know or what we show, but it's based on the person and the work of Christ. And we're so thankful for that, Father, because we forget things, we're unable to live out all the things that we know, and we would... If it was dependent upon ceremony, we might get it wrong. But Father, Christ never gets it wrong. And we pray that you would um, just help us to always remember that. And I pray today, Father, for any who are here who have not yet placed their faith in Christ. They are trusting in a program, in what they know or what they've shown in some way. I pray, Father, for those who are here that are in that spot, that they would... Uh, be pierced with your truth here today and would place their faith in the person of Christ. And I pray for all of us that you would give us thankful hearts. Father, thankful hearts remembering how you have blessed us in our early days of life. We thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name.